You're listening to the Phil Klein Dental Podcast from VivaLearning.com. In the past, we didn't have many choices when it came to CAD-CAM blocks, but today we do. So in this episode, we'll be talking to a dentist who is well aware that zirconia wins the strength battle, but he has plenty of reasons to stay the course with lithium disilicate. He specifically prefers a lithium disilicate block that saves him the step of firing after chair-side milling. To tell us all about it is Dr. Yao Lin Tang, who has over 20 years of practical knowledge in cosmetic and general dentistry. He is a CEREC user since 2005, a certified CEREC trainer, and a visiting faculty at cdocs.com. Dr. Tang, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hi, Phil. Thanks for uh, having me here. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. And, you know, there's a big uh, question in dentist's mind between using some of these materials these days, especially when it comes to CAD-CAM blocks. And um, I know you're a big fan, just talking to you offline, uh, you're a big fan of lithium disilicate. So we'll get into that later on in the program. But first, I want to begin with a simple question. Why did you decide to become a CAD-CAM dentist 18 years ago? I think back to uh, 2005, before that, you know, we, of course, I'm like, mo- I'm like most of the other dentists that we take an impression, PVS impressions, and we send the, the impression to the lab and have lab to do all our crunks. And we have been uh, suffering from, you know, like remake, you know, the content that is, is not good. You know, the temporary crown came off, especially on a long weekend. They call you for emergency. So I was invited to the uh, Peterson's uh, sales event, and uh, I discovered the CEREC systems in 2005. And uh, to me, I feel that that is the way to go. It's like a win-win situation for both dentists and for patients. First, for us, I mean, it, it, it made my procedure a lot faster, more simplified, and uh, I have all the control about contact, occlusion, margin. I print my own teeth. I mark my own margins. So that will make a lot more sense than sending it to the lab. And I don't have to do temporary, so I don't have to worry about if my temporary is going to come off over a long weekend. Right. So, so that's you... why I decided to jump into that uh, this trend. Right. So you're visiting faculty at CDOCS. That's in Scottsdale, Arizona, right? Yes. Yeah, I've been there. It's a very nice training facility in a beautiful, yeah, in yes, beautiful Scottsdale. Yep, yep, I was there. And we actually did a live podcast from there at the Spear Center uh, several years ago. So oh. you're into CAD-CAM dentistry, but some dentists are using uh, digital dentistry, but they're just scanning and then they send the file to the lab. But it's important to you, obviously, to get it in one day, right? Because you obviate the need, as you explained. You don't need a temporary uh, for the patient because they get their final prosthesis the same day. Tell us about the blocks that you're using. What are the most common blocks that you like and why? When I first started my, uh, you know, like my uh, KCAM dentistry in 2005, at that time, we only had four or five blocks available, you know. And uh, so it's pretty easy for us back then to choose a block because basically you only, you only have three or four to choose, choose from. But today, there's so many different type of blocks. There's a ceramic block, there's a lithium disilicate block, there's a resin block, there's a zirconia block. And I understand that most of doctors will go for a stronger block, which is zirconia. Zirconia, not only in today's uh, KKM dentistry, 
I mean, even for most of dentists, the cornea probably is the most used material in dentist in dentistry right now. But for me, I I'm more like a biomimetic dentistry type, so I prefer to choose something that is similar to what mother nature give it to us, like enamel and dentin, instead of choosing the 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 strongest material, which is like one thousand megapascal zirconia. So, Dr. Tang, you mentioned biomimetic as an important factor. You're willing to obviate the strength of a material like zirconia for a different kind of material that's more conducive to the physical attributes and characteristics of natural tooth structure. So tell us about that. Yes. Uh, so I, to me, I think the definition of biomimetic dentistry is, you know, we should respect mother nature's creations. So we were respecting and emulating the nature, nature with the material that we have. For us, the teeth is consists of the, the dentin, the enamel, and the DEJ. So my goal is to try to mimic that dentin, enamel, and DEJ, which is called, uh, called by Dr. Pascal Manet. I'm a big fan of him. So he called that dental trinity. So my goal is to, is to try to repeat that dental trinity. So for me, dentin, I think the composite is more similar to dentin. And the enamel, this silicate is very, very, by all the, the physical property is closest to the enamel, which is this silicate. And the DEJ, we will use the composite cement to replace that DEJ, you know, cement will be using that composite cement to, to replace a DEJ. So talking about this silicate. So the reason why I like this silicate is because this silicate has very much the similar elastic modulus and also has similar the uh, the biaxial strengths like enamel. You know, our enamel have about 80 elastic modulus and this same dissecate about 95, and enamel is about 200 megapascal strength, and this same dissecate is about 300 to 500 megapascal strength. So that's why I prefer to use uh, this same dissecate when I can for my KKM dentistry. When you talk about modulus of elasticity, you're talking about the firmness or flexibility of the material. The so lithium disilicate, you're saying matches those physical characteristics of natural tooth structure better than some of the other materials, such as, I guess you're talking about zirconia, for zirconia, example, mm -hmm. and, and even the composite blocks, the resin block. Composite the resin block. is the best to replace the dentin because it's closer, all the physical, you know, the property is similar to the dentin. Now, what about those cases where you need strength? You have a patient that has an occlusal system that where they're a bruxer, it's important to have a material that's super strong. Does that override the notion that maybe the physical characteristics maybe are not as naturally representative of the tooth structure, but the strength is more important? Uh, yes. I mean, I'm not saying that I will never use the cornea. I do use the cornea, but not as often as most of the dentists. So the case that I use the cornea is first, when I don't have enough minimum thickness, enough clearance for my DCM disilicate. You know, then I will go for the cornea. And when I need to do a bridge, then I will go for the cornea. Because again, 
in order to use adhesive disilicate as a bridge, you must have enough, you know, the uh, the strength of between the connectors, and the uh, zirconia will be a lot easier to get the strength of the connector size. So I'm still using zirconia, but I just don't use it as often as most of the dentists. And for me, I you know, again, as long as I can get that minimum thickness, which is about what, a millimeter thickness for DCM disilicate, I've been doing this for a long time, since 2005, and uh, ever since that uh, the Emacs, the first uh, DCM disilicate plug available as Emacs, as long as you bond your DCM disilicate in, which is, you know, very, very important that you have to know how you treat your DCM disilicate for bonding, then as long as you can have that, minimum thickness there, I think strength is not an issue. So you mentioned Emacs. What kind of blocks are you using in your office? Uh, right now, I use, if I do need that strength, I use DCM disilicate, which is nowadays i using the, the DC block from GC. If I'm doing an in-layer on there, I don't care much about that strength. I use hybrid block, which is a composite block. But, um, you know, again, for a full coverage crown, normally I will go with the GCDC block. Yeah, so that's Lisi, L-I-S-I from GC America. Why are you using that block in particular? Is there any particular reason that you like that particular material? Yes, uh, I mean, GCDC block, it's a decent disilicate block, of course. And the original, the first KKM uh, block for the uh, for the uh, decent disilicate, which is Emacs. But... You know, Emacs has all the good history and all the good benefit of using Emacs. But Emacs also has some disadvantage. We all know that the uh, the Emacs margin integrity is not as good. You know, once we mill that uh, the crown out, it's easy. Sometimes you will see those are chippy margins because again, it's just because of the the physical property of the uh, the Emacs. So the margin marginal integrity is not as good. And also that this uh, Emacs block is in purple stage because it's not fully crystallized. So after you mill it, it's in purple stage. You have to go into oven, go through a 14 minutes oven cycle in order to make it crystallize to be getting that tooth color shade and also to get that 350 or now they call it a 500, 500 megapascal strength. And DC actually is a DCM disilicate, the GCDC block is a DCM disilicate block also, but because it's, it's a GC's a technology, so it's a fully crystallized block. So the workflow is super simple. You just need to mill it, you polish it, and it's ready to be delivered. And because it's fully crystallized, so the margin is, you can make it super, super thin, and the margin is very, very smooth. And the strength of the Lisi block is the same strength you're getting with the typical Emacs, the ones that you actually have to put in the oven for 14 minutes? Based on the GC, uh, you know, their their informations, it's 400 megapascal. And Emacs, right now, they claim that they have five, 500 megapascal strength. But when they first announced the Emacs back to more than 10 years ago, they say the strength of the Emacs is 300-something megapascal. So I think the composition, everything should be the same, but somehow they change it to 500. I don't have any testing uh, you know, facility in my small office, so I don't know. But I think 
they should be pretty much equal about the strengths. So you're getting basically the same benefits of lithium disilicate in a block that you're milling chair side without 14 minutes of firing it up, right? You're going right to polish. That is correct. And also don't forget when you put into the oven 14 minutes, when it first, when they finish the crystallization cycle, that crown is still super hot. So you cannot touch it. You have to wait until it cool down to touch it. So it's not just a 14 minutes though. So in your experience using lithium disilicate blocks, specifically the Lisi block from GC, and you've been doing this for many years now, have you seen failures, fractures, debonding? What are you looking at as far as the failures compared to what you used to do with Emacs or other, other types of blocks? Yes, of course, I have to be honest with you. Definitely, I have some failure case, yes. But is it more than Emacs? Is it like, you know, really, really bad? Not at all. To me, I feel like as long as I get, again, I've been using quite a lot of different material, but as long as you get that minimum thickness, one millimeters, and you actually, you treat your uh, your ceramic right, you actually burn it in, you treat your prep right, then to me, the, the GCDC is similar to Emacs. Right. The success rate. It's yes. just more, con- it's more convenient for you. Uh-huh. So A lot more convenient, yes. Yeah, so tell us... Um, what the critical steps are to make the lithium disilicate in your office where you get the high success that you do? Yeah, of course, you know, the the the, the GCDC product or for all the lithium disilicate, you have to, to me, I bond my lithium disilicate in all the time, 99% of the time when I can. And uh, you have to treat your lithium disilicate in targeted surface right. So once I finish the... Uh, the meaning, I take it out from the mini machine. I do a try-in on patient's mouth. I, the reason, the main purpose of doing a try-in intraorally is not to check the occlusion. I trust my occlusion from my KCAM systems. So I don't check the occlusion before I actually bound it in. So my purpose is checking the marginal fit. If there's any open margin, how the margin fit. And also, I check my proximal content strength. So as long as everything is right, then I actually go ahead and polish it. And if you like, another benefit of using DC is if you really like, you can actually glaze it. So that will take about 11 minutes, The uh, depending on the system, the glaze system that you use. So you can glaze it if you want to. But nowadays, normally, I just, you know, highly polish it. And it takes me about three, three to five minutes, normally about three minutes to polish it. And then this is the most critical step of the uh, the whole thing is to how you treat your uh, lithium disilicate integral surface. So first, you will need to use a five percent hydrophoric acid to etch it for twenty seconds. And once you etch it, you have to fully rinse it with water. And then once you rinse it, you have to make sure your your bonding surface is nice and clean. You can either use a steam or use use an ultrasonic bath. Personally, I like to use an ultrasonic bath, and I I use an ultrasonic bath for about a minute. Use an alcohol or with a you know distilled water to clean it. And once you clean it, you take it out, you dry your surface, and then don't forget you had to use a silent. And for me, I use my um, you know G uh, the G multi primer as a silent then you are ready to bang in your uh, restorations. So tell us how you prep the tooth itself. 
it's all depend. You know, sometimes I do IDS, sometimes I don't. I don't do IDS all the time. But you know, for the simple, straightforward case, I will. Of course, you put put in your isolation rubber dam or you know the uh, the isolite to get the uh, isolations. Then I normally do etchings. You know, whatever bonding I'm using, I always use etchings. So either I do select etch or I do total etch. It all depends on the two. So let's say I was etch the two. Uh, if I do total etch, I was etch on the enamel first, and then I go on to dentine. So I I try to etch my enamel for thirty second, and then dentine for about fifteen to twenty second. Then I completely rinse it off. And for a a, a straight line workflow. I use the uh, GC uh, GSM one. That's their new new cement. So it's a self adhesive cement, but they also come with the uh, a primer called AEP adhesive enhancing primer. So if I'm using the 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 GC uh, GSM one cement, after I etch it, I rinse it dry, I clean it, then I apply the AEP adhesive enhancing primer. So I use AEP to rub on the uh, the surface, the prep surface, for 10 seconds. Then I dry it for five seconds. I load the cement. I sit my crown. I take cure it. I clean up the cement. Then I fully cure it. That's how I do it for most of my case. It seems to be pretty successful because you've had a lot of years to yes. see the outcomes of these cases, which have been very high, as we discussed earlier. So what would you tell in closing, Dr. Tang, a new dentist who's getting into CAD CAM, um, let's say they're sitting at your class at CDOC or wherever you're teaching, what advice would you give them as a young dentist to say, this is something that you really have to keep an eye on to really ensure predictable, really solid outcomes of clinical success using CAD CAM? I think CAD CAM, you know, my daughter is in dental school right now also, you know, and I know that the school don't teach much about CAD CAM. So when you first out of school, you get into KCAM, you had to learn slowly and it it, it, it do it slowly. You don't want to just jump, jump everything in, everything KCAM, you know, and, but, you know, for KCAM, your prep will be different. You know, like if you, you, if you're doing a biomimetic dentistry, you don't prep as aggressive. You know, there's a lot of difference right there, but you want to start with, you want to pick the right patient first. The most important is to pick the right patients, right, and pick the right, right tooth to start with, and then you start from the uh, the easy step, like in day on day. Then you move on to the uh, full coverage crown. Then you move on to the uh, multi unit, uh, you know, quadrants. That's my advice. Yeah, and what is the big difference in the prep design when using CAD CAM? Is it the fact that you're scanning and you want you know everything rounded very well, no sharp edges? Yes, that is correct. I mean, you know the. Uh, because again, for CAD-CAM, we do we using a mini machine, which is your restoration. The integral surface is milled by a burr, and all the mini burr has uh, a size of the diameter, right? So it's about a millimeter diameter. So something that the new CAD-CAM dentists don't understand is they look at they prep after they prep their teeth, they have patient to bite down and they look at, oh, okay, I got one millimeter clearance or I got 1.5 millimeter clearance. But once you scan it, but his uh, prep is all sharp, you know, a whole bunch of sharp edges. 
So once you scan it, you design, and it's like, wait a minute, why I get that minimum thickness warning? I don't get my one millimeter, 1.5 millimeter. Why? So something you have to understand is, again, all the restorations is meal. It's, that's why it's called mini machine. It's meal by a bird. And bird has a thickness. So that if your, your, your prep is sharp, then you will get, we call it an over meal by the mini machine. So your prep had to be smooth, had to be rounded. That is, a, that is the key. Dr. Tang, I think you covered it very well. I certainly appreciate your time on this podcast. And uh, we'll have you on again, and you'll keep us updated on some of the things you're learning as you teach. Because I know when you teach at a facility and you get questions from students, you always learn new things yourself and then incorporate that back into your teaching. So you'll keep us updated on future podcasts. I really would appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review or follow us on your favorite podcast platform. It's a great way to support our program and spread the word to others. Thanks so much for listening. See you in the next episode.